Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Uh, this podcast is delivered weekly, uh, featuring a construction executive. I interview executive from around the globe, um, you know, discussing things like industry trends, overcoming adversity, and personal and professional issues. So uh, today we're going to do something a little bit different, and uh, we're going to call this um, the uh, the special edition, uh, the Mafia of Ministry edition of uh, of Connex. And the reason we do that, uh, I'm doing that today, is because I have uh, Eric with the Lexington Leadership Foundation, and and he is uh, you're the president, right? That's right. So um, I'm going to let him. President or CEO, Scott, you can call me CEO. If I'll you call like. you CEO. It's it's less letters <laughs> and it makes it easier for me. So, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm just going to go ahead, Eric. And first of all, I just want to tell you, thank you for being on. And uh, um, although you're not a construction guy, uh, I, I give I give you my street cred in order to uh, be on today. So uh, I thought it was very important in these times of trial to have you on. So tell every tell our listeners, Eric, about yourself. Yeah, thanks, and thanks for the opportunity to be on. Um, so I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and um, I work at this place called Lexington Leadership Foundation where our mission is to connect, unify, and mobilize the body of Christ because we want to see Lexington look more like heaven than earth. Uh, That's kind of what I do day to day. Um, But a little bit more about me is I'm married to Kim. We've been married 26 years. We have a 16-year-old boy named Elijah. Well, she has to be Um, an angel because I know she is. That's right. That's right. So um, a 16-year-old boy named Elijah, my passion and heart in my day-to-day kind of personal calling and mission is to help um, leaders do what God has called them to do. So I just happen to do that through the Lexington Leadership Foundation most days, Um, but I like seeing people live into their dreams and the desires of their heart. So did you, so you grew up in Kentucky? I did. I'm a, I came from Louisville, a little place in Louisville called Pleasure Ridge Park. Uh, most people around Kentucky know about Pleasure Ridge Park. It had uh, good athletics, lots of state championships and stuff while I was there. Not because I was there. I never played a sport. Really. <laughs> but, but, let's get that clear. Uh, but that's where I'm from. And my family's kind of got deep roots in Kentucky. Um, yeah, so this is home to me. I tell people I'm not from Lexington, but I got here as fast as I could. I well, love the city. Let me ask you, are you uh... – are you 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 have to be a Wildcats fan then, huh? If you live in the Cats fan, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Cats fan. It was it was one of my spots of rebellion. I come from a bunch of Cardinal fans, and uh, somewhere <laughs> somewhere my uh, fascination with the color blue at age five or six kind of turned me. So uh, yeah, I'm a Cats fan, a diehard Cats fan. So how did you end? Okay, so you went to went to school out there. Where did you did you go to college out there? Did you go to college in, over in Lexington, or where did you? No, I ended up in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, so at a small college called Johnson University. When I went back in the early 90s, it was called Johnson Bible College, and I studied for uh, youth ministry and Christian education. I left there in 1995 and moved into inner city Knoxville and became an urban youth pastor uh, for 10 years. Wow, 10 years, huh? Yeah, it was 10 years. I lived on a little street called... Uh, East Oak Hill, which uh, is right in the heart of Knoxville. If you or any of your listeners have ever been there, it's the it's it's really in the central part of the city. And uh, Oak Hill was home of the Oak Hill Bloods, and that's where I spent ten years of my life, kind of running those streets with kids and families who had great need. And God really used that to kind of shape my heart and uh, even move me into you know, kind of what I do now in leadership development in Lexington. So, so what led you from out of Knoxville? Yeah, man, we're going to go deep here. Is that all right? Yes. <laughs> um, honestly, that that the ministry I was serving uh, grew a lot while I was there. 
and so did my position and title and salary and um, network and credentials. And quite honestly, Scott, all that just kind of got got to me, like in a way, in not a good way. I wasn't really on mission, man. I was drifted. Not any kind of big, deep spiritual condition to be dealt with, but it was just all about me. And uh, the ministry became all about me and who I knew and uh, who sat next to me in meetings and how big this thing was. And uh, it just got to a place where I needed a shift to get my mind and heart back into a right form of leadership and leadership development. So that's what happened. Um, I kind of I kind of walked out um, and I moved to, believe it or not, inner city Knoxville. I moved to Wilmore, Kentucky, which you would know where it's at. Yes. <laughs> uh, but maybe your listeners wouldn't. But essentially, I went from a neighborhood of 50,000 people with a you know, lots of cultural diversity to this, you know, small town of 7,000 people where there's a seminary and a university and high academia. Um, I moved into that town and went nuts in seven months because, you know, the flowers somehow bloom all year round and people wave at you on the street, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, God forbid people be friendly. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just a total different deal, you know. On, on Oak Hill, it was like they were waving you toward a drug deal and then you know in asbury they're just, just kind of waving at you and smiling all the time it was a bit too mayberryish for me um but in the midst of that i met an incredible dude named uh john withers dr john withers who started lexington leadership foundation in 1999 and that was the track man i think that was why i was supposed to move from knoxville to you know um, wilmore and then land in lexington was to really learn from that brother and let him uh, reshape my mind and heart toward a new way. So, and so then you then you went to, went to work at the Lexington Leadership Foundation at that point. Yeah, so he John's an incredible visionary, and um, he was kind of the champion of this. He's a great entrepreneur. He started Lexington Leadership Foundation with a, a group of other kind of risk takers with this vision in mind that if we worked together collectively, we'd be more powerful than if we worked individually as the church. And um, he had launched several things, but needed somebody uh, really at his side to help operationalize some of the vision. And so that's particularly where I'm, uh, I have some gifts and passion is trying to see, you know, things, kingdom things developed um, for the good of people in viable, sustainable ways with, um, you know, strategy and understanding and depth of thought and action. And so that's why I came along. Uh, it, was, it was the right timing for me to come along for Lexington Leadership Foundation. So, you know, I always think it's interesting to kind of go back because perspective is so important. And I, um, thank you for sharing that. And I know sometimes you I don't know if you're like, well, especially as men, we don't want to share those, those things that kind of mold us, but I appreciate that. And, uh, um, tell us about now, take a step back with the Lexington Leadership Foundation. How did it get started? Where is it at now? Yeah. Um, well, 1999, uh, our founder, John Withers was also a pastor of a small church in a neighborhood here in Lexington. And it was a neighborhood that had a lot of diversity and a lot of poverty. And he recognized really that the kind of the, the size of his church and congregation there couldn't really meet the needs of the neighborhood by itself. And so just like any entrepreneur would, he started looking around and going, well, what, what, what am I going to have to make this work? And he realized that the, that the power kind of of the collective church and the body of Christ, if activated together, would have the necessary assets to meet the needs of the neighborhood. So that's what he started doing through marketplace leaders and through uh, some church leaders and pastors. He just started collecting people and ideas and activating them in that neighborhood. And what was birthed out of that was 
uh, this idea of Lexington Leadership Foundation. It, simultaneously, he also attended a, a conference around Christian community development, which what I just broke down about his neighborhood is a is a kind of a picture of Christian community development. But at the conference, he walked into this particular workshop and he heard a gentleman speaking um, named Reed Carpenter, who had started the first local leadership foundation in Pittsburgh. There are 44 of us around the world now, local leadership foundations that exist in cities. And when he heard the idea of the leadership foundation and connected it to what he was doing in his church and neighborhood he you know really said okay this is this is kind of the way um and the way is to take a um you know a multifaceted cross-sector approach to solving complex issues in cities you know and so um that's that's what he established now the all local leadership foundations do three things. We're all governed locally. Um, you know, we have our own boards, our own mission statement, but we all stack our hands around the world, Lexington too, and say we do three things. One, we work with people of faith and people of goodwill to tackle tough issues. Quite honestly, the issues are large and complex in cities, especially around poverty. Number two is we build capacity in others. We don't have to own everything or operate everything or put our name on anything. We can be behind the scenes, pouring gas on the fire. Maybe uh, that's not the best analogy, gas on the fire. We, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the third thing we do is we develop joint initiatives. So we collectively put together projects that the whole body of Christ can be involved in. That's what we do in Lexington. That's what Lexington Leadership Foundation is. Um, and it's, you know, it's substantial when you look at the number number of projects that we've initiated. We're kind of like, you know, ministry entrepreneurs. We've initiated several projects that come under our banner for a while. They roll out and become their own thing. We initiated several projects who operate under our organizational umbrella and banner right now, mostly around children, youth, and families. So well, that was you a know, long answer. Well, no, that, that, <laughs> that was good, and I, I know it's a lot. And, and what I one of the reasons – and to kind of tell our listeners kind of how me and you met is uh, my company decided that we, you know, we, it's no secret that, that we as a company tithe, you know, we don't go hang a banner and yell at everybody and say, Hey, check us out. We're tithing. But we felt like we needed to do something with that money that would directly impact the world we live in. And I, and, uh, and I also wanted to see, for me, selfishly, I wanted to see, I wanted my children to see and some of my employees to see the effects that giving can really have on people. And so it was a little bit of a selfish desire, you know, because I really, I have three of my four kids that work in the company. And um, I wanted them to see that giving is truly a blessing to not just, not just to somebody else, but truly to you, you know. And so... I, I was in a I was in a leadership meeting and uh, uh, for you know for business and somebody recommended me to your development officer a Damon and and they they I came and sat down with you and brought my team down and uh, to be honest with you you guys kind of knocked our socks off with um, and what you knocked my socks off with was kind of what you guys stand for. I walked up to the building and if you've ever been to their building, it doesn't have their name on it or anything. And I thought, this is kind of, I thought I was in the wrong place, you know? So then I walk <laughs> in and they're like, oh no, you're in the right place. And I'm like, why don't you have your name on the building or anything or says who you are? And, and they're like, well, we're kind of behind the scenes people. And that's the kind of people I wanted to partnership with that don't want the credit but want the credit to go to God and not themselves. And, and then you, and then when you threw on the table that you're the mafia ministries, I thought to myself, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful message. I don't know if you stole that or not, but it's beautiful. You know, I mean, I, I love that. So, well, the way it happened it, and it resonates with some, you know, the, the radicals uh, out there, like <laughs> kind of resonates with, it doesn't fit every situation we're in, but the way that happened is, uh, it's an interesting story. I, somebody else coined that phrase, but I was in a conversation with a guy after a 
a church event one time and he came up to me and he knew somebody had told him that, you know, I was involved in some city ministry stuff around Lexington. I don't even think he knew the name Lexington Leadership Foundation, which, you know, like you said, is that's not our, um, it's not really what we're after. And so he came up to me and said, hey, man, have you heard about this youth ministry called Urban Impact? Um, he said, I did some volunteer work for them this summer. They're fantastic. And I was like, yeah, man, you did photography for their arts camp. And he was like, wait, how, how'd you know that? And I was like, well, Urban Impact is under the banner of Lexington Leadership Foundation. And he said, yeah, they were telling me about another program out there in the city. It's called Amachi. It's a one-to-one mentoring program for children whose you know, parents are locked up. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know Amachi. Amachi is actually under the banner <laughs> of Lexington Leadership Foundation. So then he goes and has lunch with his wife. They come back and um, he says, hey, you know some stuff about ministry. She had a question about this new project being launched downtown called New Life Day Center. Is New Life Day Center under a church? Or, And I kind of, you know, smiled and said, well, actually, it's a project of Lexington Leadership Foundation. And he pointed at me and he said, I know who you are. He said, you're the you're the mafia of ministry. And so he coined that phrase and, and it does. It works for some, some it doesn't. Um, but <laughs> The reality is, is that we could just, you know, we could do more, faster, better if we don't care about who gets the credit. And so some of it is not spiritual. It's just tactical, right? It's like if if we're trying to meet mission, um, you know, I want to I want to fuel this thing as quickly and fastly and as, you know, but as smartly as possible. And the reality is when you lift other people up. Um, their organizations, their giftedness, their skills, you accomplished what you're after, um, you know, at a, at a speed you might not accomplish if you're um, just kind of doing it on your own. So, Well, you know, and one of the reasons I asked you to, uh, number one, you're entertaining, Eric, so that's number one why <laughs> I invited you. And I said, number, number two, um, uh, I, I just felt like this is very – what you guys do is very applicable to business, and I, I, I was looking for a charity or a charitable organization that had a entrepreneur mindset, and that's what you guys yeah. have. I mean, the, the fact is, is that I always say, I tell our people all, all the time, I said, we're doing some damage out there. And they would, they, and people are like, what do you mean? I said, you know, we're doing some damage on behalf of God out there. You know what? Yeah. I mean, I, I heard a statistic once that said, you know, 95% or 99% of the world believes in God, and but only 60 to 70% of the world believes in the devil, you know? And I thought, I started thinking about that, and I started thinking, well, why is that, you know? Why, why do people believe that? And because um, if you're going to ex- think, if you're going to accept one, you kind of have to accept the other. And then so I, so... I kind of have lobbied to change that mindset, me personally. And so I tell every, everybody all the time that we're doing some damage to the devil every day, you know, and that's my yeah. goal is to do yeah. some damage to the devil every day. And I love it that you guys have the business mindset to do a lot of damage, you know, and and that just kind of yeah. goes with kind of in business, you know, I mean, we're, we're out there doing a, doing a lot of damage for the greater, greater, uh, greater world. And I, I just appreciate that so much. You guys, the fact that you guys are agile and you have the, you have the, the abilities that many small businesses have that you don't have, have to go to 50 people to talk, you know, you know, you can go to a few people and make things happen. And I just, you know, I, it's just, it, it's really admirable. And I'm, I, I count my blessings. I found you guys. So well, you thank you. We, um, we, I do. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's really from our founder again and the people he put around him. I mean, our board still one of our values of our organization is we value risk. We do not mind failing. And it's, it's interesting in the nonprofit environment, specifically the Christian nonprofit environment, how guarded we can be um, and how risk averse we can be, which is not an entrepreneurial mindset. So he had the right people around him to set this this thing in order. 
I want to say to you too, and even listeners, man, I'm, I'm really thankful we ran into you guys. Um, you're helping us meet our mission. The, the bigger thing I'd like to say is, is to people is, um, who are running small, medium, and large businesses is that your business has purpose beyond your bottom line. And that's what I see you guys doing. And whether you call it tithing, or give back, or community development, or whatever you call it, reality is, is that especially for those of us who are believers, we've got to have double bottom lines, even triple bottom lines. It's not just about how much money you can make. Uh, it's not just how much money your shareholders make. Um, it, there is a larger picture at play, and we live in a world uh, where people are hurting. And if we can put our um, effort and ability and what God's given us to um, not just alleviate some of that pain, but move people on toward this great God that I love, that's, that's what our businesses are, are, are for. It's not just to, to make cash and then you know, uh, even uh, even give some of that cash away. It's God uses our businesses for His kingdom advancement. You're doing that, so I appreciate it. Well, you know the the model that that we kind of came up with the vision for my company is we're in the business of building the kingdom, you know, business. Cause you have to have a successful business model building. Cause we're in construction and kingdom. Cause at the end of the day, the bottom line dollars don't mean anything. If you don't leave, yeah. if you don't, if you don't do something with it, you know, yeah. um, I, I constantly hear people all the time to say, well, you know what? Uh, you know, you care about money because you have a, you know, you have a nice, this or nice that, I always tell people, well, you care about money because you hoard it. <laughs> you know, you, you stick it in a, you, you, you save it and you, you save it for self rather than investing it in others. And I truly look at the Lexington Leadership Foundation as an investment um, into uh, the future of my children, the future. And in fact, when my, my company is going to be turned into an employee-owned company someday, and one of the probably it's going to be in about 10 years, and one of the key tenets is, is going to be is that we continue to do this. And the reason I want to continue yeah. to do this is because, uh, you know, number one, we're making a difference, you know. And every if any CEO out there hears this today, I want you to hear this. Any executive within any field, especially construction, because that's the majority of people will be listening to this, is that you can take your organization and help it make a difference. Now, some people get on me and they say, well, how can you – how can you give money for your company and then ask your ask your because uh, you know we give money and then we ask our employees to give money too? Um, how can you do that in good faith when you're aren't you pushing Christianity? And then my my simple response is is that I don't twist anybody's arm. And in fact, I keep anybody's giving away from me. One of my gentlemen takes care of all the coordination of giving, so I have no idea who gives and who doesn't give specifically for the that reason. But secondly, is that you don't realize the difference. I have I have uh, a, a few atheists that work in my company. Not everybody's Christian in my company. We're a Christian-based company, but but that doesn't mean everybody's Christian. And one of my one of my gentlemen, one of my senior gentlemen, that's atheist. He actually came to me when I kind of put this out, and he said, "You know what? I don't necessarily uh, believe in God, but I believe that you're helping people." And so he's mm -hmm. a contributor. And so yeah, it's it's great. funny yeah. how it's funny how God works. He's taking money yeah. from a guy who's an atheist and using it for the greater good of his kingdom. Yeah. Now that doesn't get funnier. I don't you can't tell a better joke than yeah. that. You know, God has a sense of humor. Well, the the reality is, man, you're it's a sad life to live if you never invest in anything beyond yourself. Right? I mean and, and really opportunity to give employees to see something beyond themselves and the impact that they can have on a community, whether it's from a faith orientation or not, it just creates better leaders. It, it creates a, a broader um, kind of reality in their life. Um, and so, you know, I'd probably argue this if anybody wanted to call me and argue about it, but I would contend that it, you know, you're going to have more productivity and engagement because they're not just buying into 
base, they're buying into something broader that has meaning, you know, uh, that they'll see the impact of. I mean, so, you know, what you guys set up, and, you know, and Damon's done such a great job on our team at, at leading this for us, but what you guys set up is already distributed funding to three local organizations in significant ways. I mean, like two of those three in Lexington uh, got cut from the city budget because of budget cuts. So when that check comes, that's a big deal. And, uh, you know, so your employees will actually see the impact of their giving and their lives uh, beyond themselves and beyond your company. And I, I just have to think that that's going to, that creates a, a deeper, more meaningful experience for them. I think you're going to, you'll gain from it. Well, I, and, you know, I stood up in front of uh, my company when this whole uh, coronavirus thing came down and everyone's like, well, what are you going to do? And I stood in front of them. I said, uh, for one of the first question was, is what are we going to do about this thing we already set up about giving? And I looked at them and I looked at them uh, and I said, listen, number one, we made a commitment. And number two, it's not the time to not invest, you know? Yeah. And, you know, just during times like this, I mean, do you think Warren Buffett during times like these uh, takes all his money and, and doesn't go buy things up? If you look 2008, 2007, Warren Buffett bought everything. <laughs> and, yeah. and so in his theory is, is when people are greedy, be wary. When people are wary, be greedy, you know? Yeah. But I take, a di I take a different perspective here. I'm, I'm investing in you guys because – and I'm investing in the greater good of our community and God's kingdom. That's my investment in there. And we need to be making an investment now more than ever, because if you depend upon government to take care of you and not get the political here, then you're going to be seriously disappointed. So, <laughs> and that comes from a guy who worked for the government for 15 years of his life, you know? So, so uh, Hey, uh, go ahead. Are you wrapping up? You about to wrap me? Uh, no, I, I wasn't going to wrap you up. I was going to wrap. I was like, you were wrapping me. I was like, I was just getting into this. I, I was going to ask you, what is your, what is Lexington Leadership Foundation's five and ten year plan um, going forward? That's a, it's a great question. So we have a core set of services and and ministries that we'll always pay attention to, and that's youth development and families, um, and our in our last couple of years, we've really focused attention on the Woodhill community. So cities are, you know, cities are geographies. You look at them on a map and, and you call them by name, but really it's a collection of people. And those people are broken up into neighborhoods and communities. And we have focused our attention very heavily on one of those communities inside of Lexington. So our growth strategy on the ministry side is to continue to invest in communities like we have in Woodhill. Now that does not mean we're gonna, I mean, we've, you've been in this building, it's, it's a pretty nice deal we built for this neighborhood. I mean, it's a, there's a technology center and a brand new gymnasium and a recording studio and you know a programming space for kids. That doesn't mean we're gonna take on <laughs> the burden of launching, you know, million dollar facilities in all the communities in Lexington. But what we want to do is help the church engage really heavily in uh, specific communities, those communities in Lexington that are hurting. That's East End and Woodhill and Gainesway and Winburn, and really take a focused approach on engaging uh, the body of Christ in those neighborhoods. But the larger scope for us is around um, the second function of a leadership foundation. Remember, I told you there are three. We work with people of faith, people of goodwill to tackle tough issues. We build capacity in others. And three, we develop joint initiatives. Where we're spending our time over the next three to five years is really around capacity building. There are, because of the way we are wired, we have a particular set of skills that can be really helpful to other smaller organizations. And it's a more sustainable model. So every time we launch something in Lexington, we have to, under Lexington Leadership Foundation, we hire a director and a couple of staff 
And all of a sudden we've got, you know, a quarter million dollars in this particular project. Well, we believe our best play where we can be leveraged the best is actually to find those other organizations and people of passion and invest in them rather than just develop and run all the programming ourselves. So that's where, that's the kind of the, the sharp end of our uh, stick right now is really around building capacity in other faith-based groups, given the skills that we have. We just operate, we're unique. We're not better. We're just uniquely positioned to help um, other uh, agencies, ministries rise up and do what they've been called to do. And what I what I love about your guys' model is is it is you're looking at it, you know, you guys whether whether I always heard this is that we're a nonprofit, but we're not we're not <laughs> uh, a for loss either, you know. Yeah, so right. you, up, yeah, right. you 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 keep that mindset, and a lot of people in the nonprofit world don't have that mindset, and that's one of the thing I really appreciate you, about you guys, and um, uh, I can't tell you how much I. It's, go ahead. Well, it's almost um, you know the nonprofit sector is is weird, uh, quite honestly, and I've I've been in it twenty five years. <laughs> um, it's weird in that it's self-perpetuating and self-preservational. The way you increase your, um, in, in nonprofit settings, the way you increase your uh, programming and reach is you increase your budget and staffing. And if that is continually on the rise, percentage over percentage every, you know, every year, then what you create is this kind of, behemoth over time that could just be serving itself it, it could it sometimes gets into a bit of a cottage industry of sorts too like me as a as a president or ceo thank you very much um, <laughs> <laughs> i told somebody one time being the ceo of a non-profit's kind of like taking your cousin to prom so <laughs> you know <laughs> so, anyway for me to grow my career what has to happen is I have to grow the budget, the staffing, and the reach of the actual organization I serve. Well, if that is, I mean, even for me to grow my salary, that kind of has to happen. Well, if that is the tendency and the necessity of every nonprofit, then your growth mindset is always internal. We've got to grow in a different kind of way. We've got to grow around impact, not around size, right? So it does not matter if we're 15 people on our staff team as we are now, or we're 10 people on our staff in three years. What matters is the level of impact that we're having toward our mission. And so I'm, I'm glad you observed that um, because it's it's very important to us to stay uh to stay viable and sustainable. Now, what I will say to you and listeners is the next wave for a group like Lexington Leadership Foundation is beyond just the um, receiving, you know, receiving gifts from a company like yours is now we need your expertise to help us build revenue uh, generating strategies that put people to work and uh, also kind of help us wash the face because the nonprofit, the other weird thing about the nonprofit sector is it's the game board is dead. The, the we're playing on a 30 year old kind of antiquated, uh, kind of reality is there, there's just so there's just more need than there will be likely philanthropy and giving dollars and especially in a crisis when, when, when we're all competing, nonprofits are all competing for the smallest pool of money that's available, which is the excess cash flow of the affluent. <laughs> the, and, and, and then the excess cash flow of the affluent decreases because of a crisis. Well, there's still been the same number of people competing and less of a pool. We just gotta rethink these type of things. We have to develop smart, double bottom line um, responses to the needs of people on our side too not just on the business side, but on the nonprofit side. We have to figure out ways um, to create revenue 
um, as a part of the stream of funding the good work that we're called to do. Well, and you know what? The, the, the mindset, once again, going back to your mindset, you talk about having a double or triple bottom line. And right there just shows you that the mindset is, hey, listen, we, we have to be a viable you know, operation in order to do what we need to do, we need to be viable. And so you, you know, and so you're asking us to think more big picture about like, Hey, what is your life really going to look like when it's all over? And what are you doing with what God has given you? But on your side, you're looking at, you also are being, you know, aware and, and using the resources like they should be to use. And I'm going to give you guys a lot of credit for something that I don't know if I wanted, if I was able to share with you, but one of the first donations that uh, we kind of collected and gave to you guys, our first donation was supposed to be to you guys that for your guys' cooperation and help with us. Our first entire donation was supposed to be to your organization, Alexa leadership foundation. And initially you guys came back to us and said, you know what? There's out there just, there's people out there with greater need than us. So we don't want to take it. And I went back to my community serve, the guy who runs my committee for my company. And I said, tell Eric and Damon to shut the hell up and take the money. (laughs) (laughs) The first rule of business is take the money. (laughs) So, so I was just like, I, I, you know what? I appreciated it so much that you guys did saying what you did. But the truth of the matter is, you know what? If we don't take, if I, if I didn't take care of you guys, then you guys can't take care of other things. And so I am very adamant about, about that, but I 100% appreciate where that kind of came from. That came from a good heart from you guys and your organization to help others. And, you know, (laughs) you know, so uh, they always say, don't stare a gift horse in the mouth. Well, uh, if you do, it may work out, you know? So, so, uh, Well, uh, thanks for that. And uh, you recognizing our posture in that is appreciated. But you also just being behind us saying, hey, you know, I'm invested you guys means a lot to us. Uh, and don't worry, we will, t- we will take the money. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would. We just said the about it. Somebody's, and your money's, you know, nice and good and holy. You know, it's coming off a tide. But somebody once said, you know, uh, the only problem with tainted money is they're tainted enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't go that far, but don't worry, we'll we'll receive the check and it'll be a blessing to oh, us for sure. sure. Well, um, um, so uh, you know, I kind of want to uh, wrap this all up with with something that I do with everybody. I think it's important, uh, um, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to to talk about what you guys are doing in response to this. Uh, this uh, COVID-19 issue, but I want to talk, I always think it's valuable that people learn about, you know, failures and successes themselves. And I, and I, I'd like, you know, you to, uh, you know, to talk about the founder and you can talk about yourself too, if you'd like Uh, the founder of the Lexington leadership foundation, what were some of his failures and successes you know, in general, I'm sure you know a lot about him, you know, um, yeah. and I know it's probably difficult to talk on his behalf. Is he, uh, is he still around? Yeah. 77 years old, hit his first hole in one on Saturday. Wow. So he and that I still good. spend every, yeah, it is. we spend um, about an hour, hour and a half together every week in Bible study. Um, I can tell you a lot about his successes. Um, and I, I think, um, uh, because there are many, his greatest asset, uh, Dr. John Withers and what he has taught me is really the value of releasing people into their kingdom calling. He has, um, he has the best ability that I've ever seen, I think, to be aware of what someone's skills and gifts are and just magnify them. He is, and it's not just a positive mentality. He is uber positive. Um, it's like he really sees what's going on in people. And he's, you know, he's, he's your greatest cheerleader, friend, and supporter to make that happen. So all of what we've done really has been built around 
uh, that principle. Uh, I mean, it, at the heart of it, Lexington Leadership Foundation is about leadership. We're raising up leaders, equipping them to do what God's called them to do. His greatest success is he's done that over and over and over again. His other um, qualities, which kind of bleed over into our work, is he is he's about the most tenacious dude I've ever known in my life. I mean, he when he gets after something, he will not let it go. Um, that might also be a failure at times, um, but that's uh, that's probably one of his his greatest asset. He really puts his hands to the plow. He's a hard worker, which we appreciate and have, um, I think, modeled and even our culture a healthy way to do that. Um, and I could probably, you know, say that my greatest failure to make come at the times where, where I haven't <laughs> sought his wise counsel about some things and tried to tried to go on on my own uh, and and get out kind of in front of myself. So that's what I'd say about about. Withers and his incredible success. He's still the chair of our board um, and still invests in us heavily. Um, so I don't think I've really answered failure too well, though. Hey, can I ask you one quick question before you go on to that? Yeah, or we could just dodge my failures. And uh, uh, yeah, well, I, I always think it's good to learn from failures because we always learn better more from failures than we do for some from successes, that's for sure. I get, I get, I get. But uh, um, why? Did he do this? I mean, uh, the big question I have in mind is why would he go down this road? Why in 99 did he figure out that this is something that he should do? I mean, so I always under, I'm yeah. always caught by the why, you know? It's a great question. You know, his, his background at first in Ohio was he was a, he was a pastor of a pretty large growing church. Um, and then when he moved down here, he said, it's calling from God. This is so cool. He said, I was called by God. I think it was 19. Oh gosh, I can't remember what it was. Doesn't matter. His calling was to go to Lexington, fight the works of the devil. That sounds like what you're, what you're talking about earlier, <laughs> right? Like, this damage. um, and he, he said he was standing in front of, uh, this is a part of his wife. He was in his neighborhood, which I explained earlier a little bit about that neighborhood, which is a poor neighborhood. And he was parked in front of a an empty lot. And he felt like God said to him, you don't have, uh, or how did he say it? You have disdain for the people that I've called you to. And so he was actually broken by that, realizing that he was called to this neighborhood and impoverished people. And he didn't hold them in high regard. And so he called his son, Breck Withers, who is another entrepreneur. He's on our board. Incredible guy. Breck had done inner city youth work in Boston. And he said, Breck, and he was just in tears and explaining that the Lord had just, you know, moved his heart for the people he was called to and changed his heart. And Breck said, Dad, I think you're ready. I think you need to go to this conference. And, and so I think it was a real brokenness of heart and spirit in uh, uh, in a direction from God that caused him to to you know chase this thing down now for me uh, the reason I continue to chase it down because you know he and I went through this kind of succession process over a couple of years him going to the board me taking kind of the primary lead role is that I'm I'm called to see um, cities of of peace and of refuge and of uh, uh, love and care for all, not just some opportunities for all, for um, things to look more like heaven than earth is why I continue to, to try to get after what he established in us. So, Well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because that helps put things in uh, perspective for sure. It's funny what, it's funny what can, what good can come out of brokenness. You know, and yeah. uh, I, I, I unfortunately have had to deal with that <laughs> way too much in my yeah. life. But but apparently yeah. I don't listen too well. So God has to hit me over the head and tell me something. So, uh, so well, I'm going to go back to your failures because that's obviously a, a good point to go back to. You know, so uh, if you would have to say 
what is one of your biggest failures you, you probably learned something from or you you took something from that you could share with uh, other people who are, you know, leaders? It can be personally, it can be professionally. Yeah, the biggest the biggest shift in my life happened in 2005. Um, and it, again, it's go back to the story of me leaving Knoxville and coming to Kentucky. And the, you know, if you're saying your cycle of, you know, not listening and, you know, being broken and it producing something, the, the uh, inevitable thing that comes out in me is, is uh, my ego and pride. And it just continues to kind of, you know, surface at some, at some times. And it really has blocked, um, some some good things happening when it when things needed to be all about me. Um, so I would think that's a been an unfortunate common recurrence that I continue to try to uh, to work through is um, is can I get myself out of the way enough to you know really allow God to to move how He wants to in and through me. Um, I mean I go into some rooms, man, and I. You know, I still just struggle with the leaders I'm around who, I mean, you've met some of them here, but, you know, guys like David Coe's on our team and uh, Marcus Patrick, Maggie Middleton, Damon, uh, all the people who lead here. And I, I go in the room and I should be humbled every time I walk in the room, but yet I'm, you know, I still kind of walk into places with a little bit too much of me. Well, I've been around Marcus, and if you want to be humbled, have him pray in front of you, and he will humble you. So, uh, Mark, Mark, Marcus said the best prayer I've ever heard in my life. So, so uh, what you ought to do is just put him, you put him on television and say, "Send me the money," and then I'm sure that you know. So, but he is really, really good. I mean, his his prayer was when we walked out of there. My two guys said, "I tell you what, man, Marcus is something." <laughs> cool story about me and marcus is i met marcus 25 years ago he was a point guard in a but on a basketball team in inner city knoxville when i became a youth pastor and we've been walking alongside each other in now literally for 25 years and when we launched the ministry here in lexington around children and youth um he was he was the call he was like i said man are you ready to come to lexington and he said, absolutely. He moved into my house in Lexington. Oh, my gosh. And we just started shaping it today. He lives in this neighborhood. And so, you know, so do, you know, others that are involved with us. But he's invested, man. He's he's the real deal. And I'm around those kind of people every day of my life. And uh, occasionally still find ways to make things about me. And, and you and you get a good point that I think that uh, some of our listeners can really take from this. Sometimes that we get in a position where we feel entitled or we feel, you know, entitled to be treated a certain way, entitled to have certain things. Um, and uh, kind of, you know, there's a lot of type A's out there in, in these senior level positions. And uh, I'm not calling you a type A, I'm calling you a serious type A. So, uh, and, 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 uh, um, and we do, you know, and I, I have to remind myself all the time that, that humility is probably one of the most powerful tools you can ever have yeah. in a leadership position. Yeah. One of the ways I'm trying to think about it in my life now is, um, I'm always going to be competitive. I think there's a great value to that in the particular role that I have, but I don't have to be rivalistic. Like you and I can be going after something, you know, pretty, pretty hardcore. It doesn't make you my enemy. Right. Um, and, and I'm, I'm wired the way I'm wired. Uh, and, and sometimes if that's held in the right, in the right space, in the right posture, it can be very good for the kingdom of God. Um, and I don't think he wants to, you know, total rewire the way he made me. I think there's a, there's, there's value in it. I just want to sift through those things that are, you know, keeping me from uh, doing it and not just doing it, but doing it the right way you know, where, you know, people are cared for and leaders are developed and I can uh, step 
you know, behind the scenes and, and really uh, move people on and move our mission on. So, Well, I have two remaining things I want to ask you. The first one is tell me about what you guys are doing for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So in Lexington, you know, the world changed, right? Like we, you know, we're, we've got a lot of youth development stuff going on, a lot of uh, classes with fatherhood, one-to-one mentors. And, you know, sometime in March, it just all stopped. And we had to because of uh, some of our state's restrictions on gathering and even some of the, you know, um, just desire to make sure people are staying safe. We shifted entirely to food distribution like overnight. Um, matter of fact, I think we're in about close to 9,000 meals served from uh, Woodhill Community Center. Um, we're serving about 250 a day, our highest more than 300 a day. We're delivering groceries. If you walked into our gym right now, man, it looks like an Aldi store, right? <laughs> There's just stuff everywhere. Our cafe looks like, I mean, it's just wild. And our team's done an incredible job. We've also helped respond to some educational needs, raising some money for some laptops and getting them to kids. Um, we, we're now starting to put some money actually in relief and assistance as families who we know that have lost jobs have some real needs right now. Um, financially, um, so we we took a total uh, a total shift. We just we just pivoted all of our attention onto the immediate kind of um, relief needs of families. One of the cool things that we did, though, and um, I'm really excited about this, is the first couple of weeks it was like you're running back and forth to Costco and Sam's, right? Like you're just grabbing as much stuff as you can, putting it into bags. Um, but if you go down there today, the actual meal for our kids and families being catered. And the reason that is, is not because we, you know, want to just provide awesome food. We do. We think that's cool. But the real reason is because we can keep caterers working and employment going. Right. Uh-huh. And so we, we now have probably a 12 to 15 restaurants or caterers that are a part of our system of uh, providing food um, for the kids and families in our neighborhood. And so our hope is, and it's not going to keep a restaurant surviving, but it might keep somebody working, even, you know, uh, at least today it did for DeRay's, uh-huh. the caterer who, you know, did it today. So we had some help with uh, raising some money to do it that way. It also lets our, our staff be, a little more focused rather than just on packing bags. They can, you know, they can look somebody out and say, Hey, Jesus loves you. And we're here for you. You just call us if you need us rather than just, you know, handing stuff out of, out of drive through window. So that's a little bit what we've done and what we've done in our global network actually is we've served more than a million meals. We've activated and raised four and a half million dollars around the world to serve the port during this time. Um, and we've you know, positioned about 600 staff worldwide specifically for the COVID response. So. Well, that's great. And you know what? I love what you guys did because you guys, once again, it kind of goes back to the mindset you guys have. This is what we were doing. That's no longer working because of restrictions. So we're going to shift here. And not only are we going to shift here, but we're going to we're going to assess the environment and make changes accordingly. I mean, I love the fact that you guys, I mean, we help keep people working, help people get fed. It's just a win-win situation, you know? And, and yeah. the, the, when you said that, I'm like thinking to myself, gosh, why, why didn't I think about that? You know? So, but, well, but, but once, you know, again, actually, once again, that's why you're there. Well, actually, let me give credit to where credit's due on that. That was actually one of our volunteers who that idea emerged from and raised some money around and one of our donors. And so the cool thing about that was, is when you release people to their leadership capacity or another phrase we use around here is empower people's passion. It doesn't matter where the idea came from. Right. It matters that somebody was sitting at home on a Thursday night going, not on our staff, we ain't paying this person going, how could we feed people more efficiently and better? 
And then we had the right organizational environment for them to raise their hand and go, hey, could we do it this way? And our agility is actually responding to the idea. And we don't just have to have it, right? It doesn't matter to us. And so that's the cool thing because in Lexington last year, we had you know more than 650 volunteers engaged in all of our work. Well, if you put all the, if you put all those people kind of, if you turn the light on for them, <laughs> then they're like, oh, wait, I can, I can live out my kingdom passion through, through this entity called Lexington Leadership Foundation. Then who knows what you'll, what will arise next, right? It's just a very cool environment to be in. Okay. My last question is one that I want you to not just talk to me, but talk to just picture 1500 people that you're senior members of organizations that are kind of coming to you. Like I came to you and said, how can I use my influence and my resources to help you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one of our interesting ways to, man, and people are probably going to think that, uh, there's some people who get us, right? And Scott, you were one of those guys who got us real fast. Um, there's some it takes a little longer kind of an explanation. So some listeners might be thinking going, I don't know about all these. Here's one of the uniquenesses of who we are. It's like if somebody sits across from me in my little office and says hey I've got uh, I've got some time I think I'd like to volunteer and do something what oppor volunteer opportunities do you have for me to be involved with my response usually is oh, oh man that's fantastic we really appreciate that and I, I just totally dodged the question <laughs> and I and I try to get to the bigger issues what are you passionate about because I could get you to come do this thing for two hours a week for the next six months, or I could help release you into what keeps you awake at night. So my question back to the influencers on this call is what keeps you awake at night? Our desire, how you could help us, quite honestly, is it's only part of the equation. The other part of the equation is how can LLF help you move into your calling what we would not want to do is prescribe something that says your business can do this and this and this and here's the outcome of that what we would rather do is build a relationship walk alongside you and go scott well what if, yeah we might be able to do that but have you thought about this what if we put this in place and we build something together the classic story is that i tell people because you know they'll ask me hey you know, LF seems to be, you know, doing okay financially. How do you, can you help me figure out how to raise money and make my nonprofit go? And I'm like, well, it's a really bad question. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> but here's my scenario I tell people. Um, and, and this literally happened. Say you have this idea for urban youth ministry and you write up this great proposal. It's three pages, right? And it is slick, man. You got pictures of kids on there and they look like they need people and, you know, you got this great budget and these phases and, you know, you you decide, you know, this is a real, this is a deal. I'm going to go take this to a really wealthy person and I'm going to pitch it, right? I'm going to tell them this is what I need them to be involved in. And you get 10 minutes into it and the guy goes, hey, stop. What do you need? Is it a million dollars? And you go, yeah, that's actually what the budget is. And he says, all right, well, here's a million dollars. Um, now, um, I'm going to do this over three years. I'm going to give you the first check right now. And the next thing you're like, wow. And, you know, so my question to people is when I share that scenario is what did you leave at the table? Well, the answer is always, well, nothing. We got everything we wanted. And my answer is no, you left everything at the table. <laughs> if you've got somebody sitting across from you that has the ability to do that and the passion to connect to it, the better question is what can we build Right. It's not I have this idea that I need you to engage in. It's what is unique to you and your company and keeps you awake at night. And how do we arrange those assets for a greater good 
uh, and greater impact than what you could do by yourself or what, what, what we could do if you just gave us money to do it. So I know that's a really obscure answer and I hate that it is so. I mean, everybody can give us money if they want to. I'm, you know, I just learned from you to <laughs> not say no to it. I'm, and Damon's probably going to listen to this podcast. And go, <laughs> remember, next time somebody asks you that question, give them our address, our website. <laughs> um, it's just not that simple with us. And, uh, and it does take some time, and it's more complicated. Um, but we believe in it, and we won't stray from it. So um, if there are our listeners that are saying, you know, the uniqueness of that potential group, its distinction, you know, that interests me, then let's sit down and let's talk. Um, that's how you could best serve us when we figure out how we can best serve you. And, and that's and, not a bullcrap answer, Scott. And, no, that's, no, no, that's, and that's exactly what you did with me. I came to you and I said, this is, why, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it, but I need you to help me figure out how, you know? And you, you walk, you set up a structure. I mean, you, you put me in a position where, where I, I needed to be head, headed down, you know? And, uh, um, I, and I, and that's what I thought was really unique. And everybody else that we went to, and don't take this the wrong, wrong way, but everybody else that I talked with and sat with all just wanted their money, you know, which is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand. I mean, that's what it's about. But, yeah. but truly, yeah. you, were, you were more like, well, let me help you figure out how to do what you want to do with your money, and that, and that was that was that was great. And you know, and I and I think that what was unique. So when I walked out of your guys's facility, I immediately said, "That's it, man." That's what we're going to do. And uh, I came back and I, I listened to everybody talk and got somebody, everybody's ideas. And then when they were all done, I didn't have to say, I don't care what you think because I'm going to do this anyhow. But, but, but uh, uh, everybody, everybody agreed. So um, I'm going to put yeah, your, thanks. I'm going to put your information on the podcast so people can, can reach out to you guys, uh, can yep. reach out to Damon, reach out to you guys and, 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 and hopefully this inspires some people to do things, uh, do things what, with what God has given them, um, for yeah. the greater good. So, um, and, and I, I always it. give, I give, I always give, uh, the people who are on my podcast, the last words. So before I do that, I just want to tell Lexington Leadership Foundation, you and Damon, thank you so much. Uh, you have you have done things that you're unaware of that have extremely impacted my life and the life of my people. And I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you not necessarily for what you do, but the fact that you've given your life to God to be able to use you as a tool to do his, do his bidding. And I 100% appreciate that. And I pray for you and Damon by name every day. And I know Thank I reached you. out to you. I reached out to you during the COVID thing and asked you to pray for me. And uh, let me just say, God has answered your prayers and I haven't had a chance Amen. to say that. So, so, but you have the last word, Eric. All right. Well, uh, I'll start that with thank you. Thanks for being involved with us, building relationship and, you know, trying to develop something that's going to impact the world. Um, and I guess my last thing would be somewhat of a prayer of sorts. There's a particular part of what we call the Lord's Prayer where he says your kingdom uh, be on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're really after is uh, that you know, God's kingdom would be in Lexington, Kentucky today as it is in heaven. That it'd be in Nicholasville, Kentucky today as it is in heaven. That it would be in uh, on the earth as it is in heaven. So that let's all work toward that. Um, that's that's where it's at. So, well, thank you again, Eric. And uh, you know, I'm glad you chose Lexington and not Louisville to be the place called heaven because I don't think <laughs> I don't think if you told anybody in Lexington that. Heaven, heaven has a cardinal in it. They would be very happy, you know. So, but, <laughs> but thank you again, and I appreciate it. And to all my listeners, uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Connex.